0: right we are back welcome to all of our listeners and fellow sports card enthusiasts we're glad you're here and thank you for tuning into the show if you're new to the show welcome to the 615 collector my name is Doug Turner my partner here is Brandon Turner and we always like to remind everyone at the top of the show that we do not take sponsorships or get paid by anyone that we talk about that's very intentional so that you can rest assured the information we provide is unbiased and not financially motivated all right so with that said and out of the way brandon why don't you go ahead and give a rundown of what we're going to talk about today
1: yeah first off again welcome everybody we're glad you're here and listening um, we're going to start off today with a quick follow-up take on the state of the hobby uh, we then we have a mail day we're going to talk about what we're buying and selling and then keeping with the tradition we're going to look at the athletes that wore the jersey number of our show number which is 32 today next we'll cover all the latest hobby news in the halftime report and then we do a penalty box today where we'll discuss some recent controversies in the hobby and then finally, in our film study, we got NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, and a bunch of MLB stuff, so we got a bit to catch
0: up on since last time. Yeah, a lot to cover since the last show. Uh, we recorded that interview with Jeremy Lee, like, what, maybe five days before we actually dropped it, so it's actually, yeah. it's been a while since we've done a show and talked about any hobby news or any film studies things and playoffs and all that kind of stuff, so a lot to catch up on, uh, but before we do... So Jeff, fun at your daughter's wedding. My, my daughter's, daughter's wedding. Your daughter's wedding. Your sister's. My yes. daughter's wedding. Your sister's wedding. Yeah. You don't have a daughter. Yeah, fun. Yes. Yeah, it was fun. We had a good time. A lot of family and friends in town that we haven't seen in a long time. So it was awesome. I know we posted a couple of pictures on our social media channels about it. But the weather held out, so that was good. Didn't, yeah. We were worried about heat, and then we were worried about rain. Didn't get either one. It was like perfect maybe 70 degrees with a nice cool breeze it was nice and we we talked to some of the people that we were trying to line up for interviews yeah we did (laughs) so we did a little we did a little business at the wedding too yeah Yeah. so we've got uh we've got some people coming up in future shows that we're going to be doing interviews with one of which is our soccer expert Mm -hmm. that we've been talking about for a while and so we're looking forward to having him on the show. We're going to try to get that arranged here at some point within the next few weeks, get our schedules coordinated, and get him on to talk a little soccer. We're also going to have back, we got to do part two of our interview with Jerry Helper, the yes. executive with the Nashville Predators, have him back. We're also going to have uh, Dale Plum, our, our guest host from a few shows ago. We talked with him. We're going to try to have him on as a regular guest host, maybe, I don't know, maybe once a month, something like that what do you think maybe something Mm -hmm. anyway whatever his schedule will allow we're gonna try to have him on regularly we've uh we're gonna try to get some interviews with uh like peter from sgc still working to try to get him on we've got another one that we'll talk about a little later planned for next week that we're excited about we've got some surprise guests some athletes and some other um i guess Popular sports figures that people are going to know that we're working on and hoping to have here in future shows. So, so lot, lots coming up here in the next few months of the show. A lot to look forward to there. Where do we want to go next? Uh, well, do you S- want to stay st- to the market? Yeah. Get that right. out of the way. We'll get out. Yeah, we won't be talking. We've Wait. talked about this for the last First. couple of shows, but it just seems to continue to be a hot topic in the space. I think people are probably becoming a little overly concerned about it it's just part of the cycle, but we'll address a couple things. So one thing I did want to address was this idea. Remember, there are going to be leading and lagging indicators, just like there are in the stock market, right? So as an example, right now, the stock market's going down. A lot of people will look at the stock market and say, well, I don't understand. You know, the economy's still growing. Earnings are doing well. Employment's doing well. Well, the stock market's a forward looking mechanism. So a lot of those things like unemployment, you know, stats and Um, the economic growth like GDP stats things like that those are all generally considered to be lagging indicators or at best maybe coincident indicators but not leading indicators. Well I think the card market's no different. Card market you know what each one of those are what the leading and coincident lagging ones are I couldn't say for sure just yet I haven't done enough research or analysis to be able to point that out but what I would say is that I think you know when you hear people talk about well products still selling you know it's selling out off the shelves or off websites or whatever and you know show traffic it shows is still pretty good i'd probably say those are more lagging or maybe coincident indicators at best i certainly don't think those are leading by the time you see that it's too late it already you know most of the correction will have likely already happened and then that'll be the time when everyone's probably talking about how bad things are that'll actually be probably the bottom and the time that things will you know start to pick up and go the other direction So it's just something to think about. Um, I also would, you know, point out that there is a difference between there being a soft market in terms of the prices paid and in terms of activity, you know, so just volume of transactions. There's still a lot of activity, a lot of volume of transactions, but prices in general are certainly softening for a lot of different things with the exception of maybe some of the rare low pop count stuff, some of the high end stuff, serial numbered stuff, you know, all those things that we've talked about. But again, you know, we believe we're closer to the end of this than the beginning. Do do think it's prudent to be disciplined and cautious here because the economic situation is probably going to get tougher over the next few months. That may dampen the amount of discretionary income that people have to spend on cards. And so we're going to have to work through the, the cycle here, and then we can, you know, reevaluate. But right now, I think it's a matter of just picking your spots. You know, I've heard some people talk about, they're worried about, oh, well, how do we talk about the state of the market and the slowdown without causing panic? And i'm thinking to be honest i just think people are too concerned about this stuff the the ups and downs are just part of the cyclicality of investing and collecting there's going to be ups and downs just know that i would focus more on being a long-term investor or collector not a flipper and just know there's going to be downturns like now but longer term the trend's been higher i personally expect that to continue but who knows i could be wrong but i also think it's a situation where not everything will go higher it's not like stocks in my opinion where you know the majority of stocks over time go up i don't think that'll be the case with cards i don't think the majority of cards are likely going to go higher over time i think it's going to be more the bigger names the hall of famers you know, and by definition, those are the minority of players. I mean, if you think about, right, if you, th- you think about even some of the vintage stuff, who do people collect, right? The Mickey Mantles, the Willie Mazes, the the Babe Ruths, the Lou Gehrigs, you know, all all the big names, right? But some of the sort of lesser known names, you know, I mean, depending on the rare, for maybe if you're a set collector and, they're, they're, and you're trying to pick up, uh, you know, some of those, you know, base cards of players to, to finish out a set and they're rare maybe that generates a higher price for some of those cards but a lot of those just don't carry a lot of value so you think about translate that today right we talk about all these different players in basketball baseball football they're not all gonna you know ultimately be some of the all-time greats some of them are just gonna have sort of average or maybe even a little better than average careers but the hype coming in, just by definition, is probably going to be cause them to be a little more overvalued on the front end of this, and then as time wears on, if they don't end up being one of the you know sports all-time greats, I would expect the prices of those cards probably end up going down a little bit. You know, I think about so I'll give you a couple examples. Yeah. Think think about some of the players we like, Gary Payton, or Charles Barkley, or you know uh, Sean Kemp. Or gosh, I don't. I mean, you could a lot of different. Allen Iverson. You could make, you could talk about a lot of different names. And when you look at the cards of some of those players, they're not even close to being at the same price level as guys like Michael Jordan or some of the current players, right? Like John Morant or or Giannis or Zion, right? Zion to me is a great example. If Zion doesn't pan out, not played. <laughs> yeah, and if he doesn't pan out and become not played at all, really exactly. And so if he doesn't become an all time great player. Prices of his cards are probably coming down. They may come down anyway, but they're, probably, they're definitely probably coming down if he doesn't pan out, right? And even if he does, like let's say he just becomes kind of an average or maybe slightly better than average, like that won't be good enough in my, again, this is all my opinion, so I could be wrong about all this, but I don't think that'll be good enough to sustain the value we're seeing on some of those cards.
1: No, I don't think so. I think that it's really hard to hit on draft picks and so to have like most of the top five go crazy Doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, right? Because usually only maybe one or two of them will actually really be a good player, and then probably one or two every like two or three years will actually be like a great player. You have some oddball drafts where you get like a couple of great players, but most of the time it's really hard to hit on draft
0: picks generally. Yep, in the long term, like exactly. And so what I would tell people is don't worry about you know the way I kind of envision it's it's just been the way it's been for the last year or so, but I think it's going to continue where the hype of those types of players coming in the younger players for most of them they're not going to pan out to be all-time greats some of them a couple a few of them will but so what's going to happen is the the increase in value of their cards is going to happen in that first year second year maybe third year and then after that they'll begin to separate the ones that truly do become all-time greats might stay high or go higher the ones that don't are probably going to see their prices come down and I think that's just going to be kind of the way the market's going to be. But I, I don't think people should worry too much. Again, it, this, this market's not going away. You know, the easy money might be over. That flipping game of buying everything out off the store shelf and then trying to flip it for 10 bucks a box more or something like that. That easy money, it's probably over. But I'll go back to something Jeremy Lee said during our interview with him last week. And he said, for as long as there are sports, there's going to be cards. And as long as there are people, they are going to be collectors. This industry is not going away. And so my advice would just be to be a collector first, be an investor second. If you collect what you like, you know, and invest in things you like, then it's much easier to weather the ups and downs of the cycles that are bound to happen and you know i would be thinking and then if you are an investor and not just a collector i would be thinking about it for the long haul i would not be thinking of it with like a day trading type mentality where you're trying to flip out of everything within you know a few days few weeks few months something like that if you do want to dabble in that you know like what we talked about maybe some of the younger players then you know by all means go for it but know that that is a very hard road to hoe and there is going to be some people that'll be successful with that but i would suspect the majority of people will not be And I think the same is true with breaking. There's obviously a lot of attention given to breaking. We've already talked about this, so I'm not going to go into it in detail here. But just remember, breaking is gambling in large part. Breakers are always going to be fine. They're making money on on the breaks they do. That's just the math of the way that works. The people that participate in those breaks, the gamblers, are generally going to lose. Sure, there's the lottery effect. There are going to be some big hit cards that certain people are going to get. And they're gonna make a ton of money but that's remember that's the minority for the minor, for the majority of people it's a losing proposition so if you're gonna do it if you're gonna do breaks just do it for fun do it for entertainment purposes only risk which you can afford to lose and just be disciplined with what you spend um, but otherwise I wouldn't get too caught up with what's happening in the market look we'll go through a downturn and at some point here not too distant future things will bottom out I think they'll begin to move higher long term I still think There's a strong fundamental case for this market to keep growing and seeing higher prices for cards over time. But again, I could be wrong. And if I am, you know what, personally, I don't care because what I'm doing is not for the financial gain. What I'm doing is just for more of the, the personal satisfaction, the enjoyment that I get out of it. And hey, if I make, you know, it's the collecting aspect of it. And if I make some money along the way and I can build up some value in the collection along the way, then great. And will I sell some things as I do? Sure, I will. But, you know, for the most part, and you, our, our listeners have heard it when we talk about our buying and selling, which we're going to do here in just a minute. We buy way more than we sell, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but when the market's high, look, you got to be pre- sell a few things, right? Um, make sure, just like in the stock market, when it's high, make sure you're selling some stuff, raising some cash. So when the downturns hit you've got some capital available that you can take advantage of some prices. So, all right, let's move on. That's enough about that. Let's talk about what we're buying and selling. Speaking yep. of that.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, like what CSG stuff come back?
0: Yep, another group of nine and a half cards that we're going to be sending in to CSG to get reholdered. I did get a 2012 uh, Panini Prism Jimmy Butler and got a Luca, got a Bryce Harper 2013 Tops, got a Sabrina Ionescu, the 2020 uh, first edition of the WNBA Prism basketball—it's her rookie. Got a Chipper Jones rookie, a Tyler Hero rookie, a bunch of different things in nine and a halfs. You can pick those up for a lot less than what a ten is, yep. even though it's the same gem mint. So, gonna get those, get reholdered, keep going with our strategy there. See how that works out. We also got our SGC order back. Uh, we talked about that it had been graded last time. Well, the grades pop, the order came back. Very happy with the grades. We had ten cards in that order, and. I do think that, uh, so at the 10 cards, eight of the 10 cards got the grade that we expected or got a half point higher or a full point higher in a couple cases than what we expected. No card got less than what we expected. And so I will say this, I think SGC is the most consistent of all the grading companies right now. And, and so to be honest, I'm probably going to use them a little more than we have in the past just because... I can't, we can't afford, you know, the, some of the inconsistency that we've talked about and we've seen from PSA, you just can't afford to have, can't it afford to send a, money. Car, yeah, it you can't afford to that. send a card in that you think gets a nine or a 10 and have it come back a four or a five with no explanation as to why that happened. And again, this isn't a situation where we're just, well, we lack experience grading. That's not the case. We've got a lot of experience grading and we've been spot on, you know, with SGC, with HGA, BGS, the others, CSG you know we've been spot on with how we grade the cards the only company we've had real significant deviations from how we graded and what came back was psa and it's not on a majority it's typically on only one or two cards per order but that's like 10% you know if we're sending in 10 cards you get one card back that's 10% or if you send in 20 cards you get one or two cards back it's 5 or 10% so 5 or 10% we're getting these massive deviations with no explanation and it's a you know so I don't like it so we'll keep it's not that we'll we'll keep using PSA but I really would like to see a lot more consistency or, or else see them provide some kind of like graders notes or some kind of information when they provide the grades back about why a card received that grade to make it a little easier because you know Like I said, when we've looked at a couple of the cards, we've looked at there's there's nothing there that we see that that justifies the grades they got, and we're looking up you know bright lights, five X magnification, getting in all all that kind of stuff. So, anyway, but very happy with the SGC order that we got. We got three nine and a halves, we got four tens, we got one nine, and then we did have those two that they didn't grade that was the two that we got at the mint collective don't know why yeah we don't know why we got them they sent them back to us those are the ones we got at the mint collective so who knows we might have to send those into psa or somewhere else i don't know but um anyway so that was good let's see what else uh did pick up a hobby box of the upper deck 2021 2022 series one hockey cards going to be chasing the young gun inserts in that one those are the popular rookie cards of hockey players so you got in this in the series one Release um, Some of the ones to go after will be uh, Cole Caulfield, Tanner Janot, who's uh, near and dear to our heart. He's a Nashville Predator, and Trevor Zegres, who we've talked about a few times on the show. There are a few others. Um, I think there's a total of 50, if I'm not mistaken, young guns in each of the series releases. But those are probably the some of the, the ones that we're hoping to get. Also did pick up, can't remember if I said this last time, it picked up a couple of the 2022 Bowman baseball hobby boxes but haven't got those yet so still waiting to get those from tops we haven't ripped those crown royale boxes we got we're gonna have to do that we need to rip at least one yeah and see a lot of people are finding the kaboom cards in there not sure if they did a i thought they were just a case hit but feels like there's people are finding more of those than i don't know that would but anyway let's see what else oh did get some additional shares talking about the collectible the fractional ownership platform so on the collectible platform i did get some additional shares of the john elway rookie card basket and that's a 1984 tops there are two cards in that basket both psa 10 prices coming down so i'm sitting down there with a limit order just picking off shares when i can and i so i was able to get a few more shares of that one i did sell some of the 1959 tops baseball set lot it was all psa eights and nines uncollectible i had a gain in that one wanted to raise some funds for the purchase of the elway shares so did sell some of that and i'll say this too looking at the order books of some of those um, fractional platforms i think there's going to be some great deals to be had Uh, If you're patient and pick your spots, because these platforms might perform a little differently from the physical card market, it feels like people might be panicking a little more on those platforms and seeking liquidity and trying to kind of get out at any price. And so I think it's going to possibly create some bargain prices. And so if that happens, just, you know, could be some good opportunities to pick up some iconic cards at some decent values. I'll give you one example I'm looking at. I I own some shares in this one already, but it's the Michael Jordan rookie card. It's graded a 10 by SGC. It's on the collectible platform. Right now it has a market value of $132,500. That's a very steep discount to what a PSA 10 currently sells for. And shares are available at that valuation right now. And so that's just one example. There are others, it's something to watch for. I think there's a good chance the value of that one keeps coming down in the next couple of months. And if that happens, like I said, if someone you know panics and needs to get out, needs to get liquidity, could create an If you're paying attention and you got the capital available, could create an opportunity for buyers to pick some really nice cards up up at some decent prices. That's it. I think that's all the buying. Didn't do any selling. Yeah, so there you go. That's
1: that's how it usually goes. (laughs) Exactly. All right, we can go ahead and do jersey numbers then. Um, Today is going to be show number 32. So this actually I was surprised. There's a lot here
0: this is a big number especially for basketball yeah there's some big names on this yeah. list. it's gonna be hard to pick one all right no, so i've already got mine do you yeah i i got a guess on who i think yours might be so right off the bat i'll say magic johnson he's number number 30 with lakers jim brown in football one of the all-time if not i mean some people think he's the all-time greatest running back in the nfl now I will say, so Dr. J, Julius Irving, he for a stint wore 32. He's really better known for wearing number six. So I'm not going to include him on this list, but I will include Shaq. Now Shaq wore 32 with Orlando and the Heat. Which he is like half his career, so yeah. like, that's fair. Well, and he didn't wear, he wore 34 with the Lakers because Magic yeah. was, I think 32 is retired, right? I'm Magic's sure it is. Magic's his number so retired. Yeah. yeah. So he had to wear 34 with the Lakers, but he was 32 with Orlando and the Heat. Um, Sandy Koufax, pitcher for the Dodgers. Steve Carlton, pitcher for uh, the Philadelphia uh, Phillies. You had Carl Malone in basketball. Kevin McHale, the Celtic. Uh, O.J. Simpson, a little bit of a controversial name right there, but Marcus Allen, running back in, in football. Uh, Bill Walton, Walton basketball. Yes. Franco Harris, that was a good one in football. Uh, Rebecca Brunson, five-time WNBA champion. Is she related to uh, Jalen Brunson? Yeah, I don't know. Because I know he has a dad that played. I don't know. I'm not sure in the NBA. It's a good question. We should look that up and find out. I don't know. Swin Cash is another legend in the WNBA. You had Elston Howard, who was the first African-American player to don a Yankees uniform. Then you had Claude Lemieux. Uh, He won four Stanley Cup championships with three different teams. One of, I think, only 10 or 11 players to win a Stanley Cup with three different teams. And by the way, he's not related to Mario Lemieux. There's a bunch of others, but I think those were probably some of the bigger names. Yeah. So who, i got to guess. I think I know who you're
1: going. I'm going Magic. Yeah,
0: I knew you'd go Magic.
1: I thought, well, I thought Shaq, but I think, well, if we're going off of better best player, I would pick Shaq, but I think Magic is the most important player. I think Magic and Larry Bird are probably the most important players to ever play in the NBA. Mm-hmm. just because they kind of saved it. That's a big statement right there. Well, they kind of saved it. I mean, the NBA was not doing well. Yeah. And then they people watch. all watch college, and they watched these two guys go at it in college. And then when they hit the NBA, everybody kept watching. Because they were
0: Michigan State and Indiana, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody
1: watched that, and then when they went to the NBA, everybody started watching them. So.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So no one really watched the NBA before that. Well. And they brought a little bit more flash, which
0: is good. Yeah. So oh, yeah and they absolutely did probably well,
1: most important player one of the most important players in basketball
0: all right you know what i'm gonna join you i'm gonna go man this is a tough one because there are so many big names i mean jim brown you know Shaq, sandy koufax is that that should be one i probably should go for that one because i'm a dodger fan but carl malone i mean so many big names here bill walton franco harris the immaculate reception but yeah i'm gonna go magic as well I, I kind of want to lean jim brown but i think i agree with you i'm gonna because magic was more my era Mm -hmm. so i didn't grow up watching jim brown i grew up watching magic and in well i know two different sports but nonetheless um so yeah i'm gonna go magic all All right right. should we move on yes let's do the halftime report
1: all right so in grading company news hga is opening back up and accepting submissions
0: Yep, and related to that, their former CEO and founder of HGA is Tyler Hitt, who we've talked about, we've interviewed before on our show. He started a breaking company called Rip Hit Card Breaks, and here's the, the big poll he had this past week. Uh, remember those Jersey Fusion cards that are out there? There's kind of some controversy around, not controversy, but they're one of those where people either like them or they absolutely hate them but they're basically where they take these cards and they put like a patch or something on it and then their number... Anyway, I don't get into... We can post on social media, but uh, there was a bounty out for a Justin Herbert card. It was a 101 that had the NFL Shield patch on it. There was a bounty out. I think uh, Dave Adams, I think it was, they were going to pay, what was it, maybe $15,000 or something for that card. Well, he pulled that card in one of his breaks hmm. of, of a Jersey Fusion case. So that card has been pulled... And so I suppose whoever got it might take advantage of that bounty to sell it. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, So CSG
1: introduced their new label for a perfect 10. It is black, white, and gold, and foil embossed.
0: Yeah, we'll have to post a picture of it on our social media this week.
1: Um, CSG also announced they're increasing hiring bonuses to 3,000 for select positions as they continue to grow and look to
0: expand their operations. Yeah. So if you're looking for a job and you want to do something in this industry, give CSG a call because uh sounds like they're all, all the companies i think psa sgc others are hiring as well but um that was interesting uh, leaf leaf the trading card company took an extraordinary step they filed a lawsuit against an nfl receiver cd lamb from with the dallas cowboys mm-hmm. they filed a lawsuit for breach of contract because he hadn't fulfilled his obligation to uh, autograph cards This was some of the, this relates to some of the redemption issues that we've talked about where mm-hmm. people aren't getting cards back so, And it was believed to be the first time that a trading card company had taken legal action against a player. And guess what? It worked. Because they, a Leaf came out after the news broke and reported that CeeDee Lamb has returned all the cards autographed as promised. And so they're now going to be able to begin fulfilling redemptions. And so maybe yes. a notice to Panini, maybe try that strategy and yeah. see if you can get these cards back and get, get redemptions filled. Um, There have been a lot of card releases, so we're going to touch on a few of them now. Okay, so Tops did release what's called GQ or Gypsy Queen. Uh, Their hobby boxes and blasters and everything else, that's a baseball uh, set. And then they also release their. Uh, it's called Bundesliga, is that right? Is that how you pronounce it? In soccer, <laughs> yeah, it's their stadium. I think it's Bundesliga, whatever Liga is how it looks, how it's, that's how it's spelled. But uh, their stadium Chrome, which is I think a nice set in soccer, if that's something that you're interested in, that's a good one to go after.
1: Um, Panini has Prism Football, Noir Basketball, and Obsidian Football coming. Uh, they've also released Immaculate Basketball and Court Kings Basketball, as well as Diamond Kings and Baseball.
0: Yeah, and then they also released a soccer uh, set as well. It was their Mosaic, Syria A, all these different soccer leagues. Mm. Uh, but that one is coming within, I think, the next week that one will be released. And then uh, something Jeremy mentioned, Let Jeremy Lee on our last show when we interviewed him about hockey cards, and that is the cup. I'm not sure we've talked about that product line before, and so... Um, felt like it probably appropriate for us to do so it is a product produced by upper deck it is one of the highest end products in hockey and so if you're interested in finding some of the rpas or rookie patch autographs and higher end cards of hockey players that's one to take a look at but also know like national treasures with panini and football and basketball it is expensive mm-hmm. but it's but it has some really nice cards
1: um nfl news drew Brees now says he may play football again too yeah what how, old, how old is he
0: I I thought he retired because he was old. He is old. Well, in football <laughs> like, terms, he's not old in actual, but like football, I want to say, isn't he forty? See, I thought he was like in his forties. We should probably look that up. I don't know. All right, so just looked it up, and it says he's he 43. is forty-three yeah, years he still old. Wants to play. How old's Brady? He's 44, 45? something like that. Yeah.
1: Brady's known for how well he takes care of his body, though. I don't know about about Drew. I'm I'm sure he he does too. I don't know how much like with Brady. I mean, if he's feeling good enough. I mean, sure. That would be interesting so, if he comes back. <laughs> I mean, I thought he didn't
0: really, I thought he was still playing well before he retired. Yeah. But. Well, and I think it, he was kind of, he was kind of joking yeah, like, when he, he said actually it. serious? No, like, I mean, the content, I heard it, the quote, and, and saw, or the video of it or whatever. He was kind of joking around, so I don't know that he was really serious, but at the same time, anytime an athlete like that, you know, leave, opens that door, you know there's got to be in the back of their head thinking about it I it's kind of like brain I don't know I don't know they if know what they're saying old, when they say those you retire
1: for a few years and you that old it's kind of hard to come back true I don't know all
0: right well in other NFL news the Miami Dolphins added Melvin Ingram from the Kansas City Chiefs which is a nice pickup continue of, to steal more from the Chiefs yeah exactly he's a very good pass rusher so it was a nice pickup there um, the PWCC premier auction in May
1: had 419 lots sell for a total of $18.65 million, so
0: just under about 45000 per lot. 419 419 lots. Yep. Why do you, you say 419? It's a weird, weird way to say it. 419? Yeah. What do you mean? I don't know. <laughs> say 400. I never say 100. You never do? Oh. All right. Um, yeah, so just under four. There were several records set, including a 1986 Fleer basketball sticker of Kareem Abdul Jabbar. It was graded a 10 by PSA, sold for $240,000. The pop count on that, by the way, is 14. So, in that grade, that's a tough one to get in that good a grade. But to put that in perspective, back in early 2020, so just what, a couple years ago, uh, the sticker of, of that card in PSA 10 sold for just under $20,000. So, like a 10x increase in that over the two years that was the highest price paid for any sticker in that set including the jordan sticker and it's the second highest price paid for any card in that set with the highest obviously being the jordan rookie remember that set has 132 cards in the set base set and then there are um i think is it 11 or 12 i think there's 12 i can't remember if it's 11 or 12 i think it's 12 stickers um that are then part of it to complete the whole set also a 2013 panini prism gold which was uh, the golds are numbered to 10 of Giannis, was graded a nine and a half by bgs it sold for a record five hundred and twenty eight thousand dollars
1: a jimmy butler 2012 panini prism gold graded 10 by psa which is also numbered to 10 Sold for $28,800, which was a record, and the first time any Jimmy Butler card surpassed 20,000.
0: Yeah, nice to see Jimmy Butler finally getting a little bit of hobby love. And as we report on some of these record sales, remember it's very much a bifurcated market. So think about it like the stock market, even in a bear market or a recession, there are stocks that do go up. The card market is no different. Just because some cards sell for a record amount doesn't mean the market as a whole isn't soft. But that being said, following are some additional record sales that have taken place over the past couple of weeks. So there was a 1962 Tops Willie Mays that was in a PSA 2, and that sold for a record, whopping ninety five dollars. Nice. <laughs> but still, the way to think about that is it's a PSA 2, so that you know one is the worst grade you can get. It's a 62 Tops, um, so not exactly you know his stuff. You know the 50s stuff is more expensive, but but nonetheless, there's an affordable vintage willie mays that you could go after if you wanted to Uh, there was a 2016 bowman chrome prospects vladimir guerrero jr this was the red refractor it was an autograph card the red is numbered to five it was graded nine and a half on the card and 10 on the auto by bgs it sold for record 228 thousand dollars in that pwcc auction and then that exact same card but this one was the orange refractor which is numbered to 25 had the exact same grade by bgs nine and a half ten it sold for a record $46,800, and that was in Golden Auctions. And there were a couple of Gaudis. Remember, this was the Memory Lane Auctions. Um, oh, who was the name of the gentleman's collection they were offering? I forget now. But anyway, there were two 1933 Gouties. One was a Lou Gehrig in a PSA 9. That sold for a record $672,000. And then the Babe Ruth in a PSA 9. This is the one with the yellow background. It sold for a record $942,000. And another one that I think is interesting is this 1948 Leaf Leroy, otherwise known as Satchel Paige. It's graded a 3.5 by PSA, Sold. I, I like that card, actually. I've actually been wanting to get one of those, but that one sold for a record $57,600 via PWCC. Here's the interesting thing on this one, and I actually do own shares of this one on the Collectible platform. So on Collectible, there is an SGC2 grade of that card. That has the PWCCA stamp on it which just basically indicates that the eye appeal of the card is higher than the grade of the card and so typically when they have that stamp they'll sell for a little higher than comparable other you know cards with the same grade um, but that that card on the collectible platform right now has a value of $28,200 so what is that a little less than half of what that three and a half grade just sold for Uh, A couple others we'll mention. There was a 1971 Opeachy Guy Lefleur in hockey uh, in a PSA 10 sold for a record $31,200 via Golden Auctions or a 57 Tops Mickey Mantle. Mickey continues to be his card strong in a PSA 6.5 sold for $3,438 via eBay. Here's one sort of relates to the basketball news. 2015 Don Russ, the Joker, Nikola Jokic, uh, who won the mvp this year it's the rookies insert it was in a psa 10 it sold for a record four hundred dollars so not a huge mm-hmm. price but still a record for that insert that insert is you know not necessarily a hugely popular one. Oh, this one was good 2012 national treasures jimmy butler it's good to see jimmy butler getting some hobby love it was an rpa rookie patch autograph numbered to 99 graded a 9 on the card 10 on the auto by bgs sold for a record 2075 dollars via ebay which still seems cheap to me relative to what the national treasure yeah, rpas we, are selling for other cards um, another one of his that 2012 panini prism his rookie card this one though was the silver remember the silvers are uh have lower pop counts in a PSA 10 sold for a record $3,250 via eBay, which is up from just $2,400 a year earlier. The pop count on that card in PSA 10 is just 19. So that still seems like, and again, relative to what other players, rookie, Prism, Silvers are. And by the way, that 2012, what's cool about that is that's the first year for Panini Prism in basketball too. So that, that, that one has, that's a pretty big card to be quite honest, but what else? there was oh here's one that you might like 2018 national treasures rpa first off the line edition so it's numbered to 20 of anfernee it's simons right not simons yeah anfernee simons with the trailblazers graded a nine on the card 10 on the auto by bgs sold for record three thousand six hundred and sixty dollars so goodness think about that like that card sells for more than jimmy butler that guy hasn't even done anything yet that's he still was he this was his rookie year right this last year no no nah. no 2018 was mm-hmm. yeah okay anyway golden saw a lot of star wars cards doing well and some related collectibles in their may elite auction anyway so some good stuff still happening in the card market
1: mm-hmm. all right well i think that's it for the half report so we can go ahead and move on to the penalty box 27
0: columbus two minutes for hooking all right so Try to be a little quick on this so we can get to the film study because we all have a lot to cover there. But I did, there's been some controversy in the hobby. Is there usually about every other week we get some controversy, Probably. right? This time, a couple different things. First one, Josh Luber. So he he went and did a break with Backyard Breaks. Remember those guys? Yep, yeah, those are the it to me. It's just and there's been a lot of talk about this. And I will say, I just think it's a bad look for the hobby. I mean, Josh has to know when he goes on and does something like that, even if he's doing it personally and not as a representative of Fanatics, he has to know still that his name is associated with Fanatics and knows what he's doing. And now the other thing, I get that that, that those guys from Backyard Breaks, they're huge. They, they they break a ton of product. They're probably one of you know the biggest customers of Tops and Panini and distributors out there of all these products. But nonetheless, given some of the things that those guys have been involved with, I just don't know that you really want to have your, you know, name and image and everything associated with them. So and I will say I'm not necessarily impressed so far. Well I do I do I'm impressed with Josh Luber's resume. I'm 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 questioning a little bit some of the things he's done in the early days here of his new role as the chief vision officer for fanatics because he does talk a good game but then if you look at those card launches they did with Gary Vee and with you know with their zero cool line and then jackass oh excuse me I shouldn't say that we're a family friendly show but that was the cards with that movie that's the name of the movie but you know you just have to think we talked about it before there's so I think there's so many things you could have done there that might have been a little more interesting and maybe a little more popular on a broader scale but then he goes on with backyard breakers these guys i'm just going to be honest i'll be call it like it is i think they act like clowns they were the ones involved with that trevor lawrence card giveaway scandal where they were supposed to give it away then when they pulled it and realized it was this big huge valuable card they said "Oh, we can't give that away and then they got you know basically raked through the coals by the industry and so then were basically forced to to give it away and then ultimately didn't even ultimately get it back to the give it to the person that should have got it in the break they gave it to a charity i don't know what the person in the break who was supposed to get it got maybe they got some money there's been accusations out there granted nothing's been been proven that i know of but that they've been scamming people in breaks right before josh luber joined them for this there was some controversy about how they might have been marking cards in order to rig the breaks again i'm not going to get all the details on that the bottom line is you just have to kind of you know it's not a great look to go and do that after all that and then this week rumors started to fly that Josh Luber might be out at Fanatics now Sports Collectors Daily posted on their social media site that their sources who was a Fanatics spork- spokesperson told them that there is absolutely no truth to those rumors so we'll see a lot of scuttlebutt around all that and I will say well, I, I think there's probably not truth to those rumors but I, I wouldn't be so sure that there's not some you know maybe he's not out but I wouldn't be surprised if you did see some, some changes or some shifting around. I do think it's a situation where there's smoke, there's fire. I do doubt he's out, but who knows, maybe he would be. But I wouldn't be surprised if maybe his role changed a little bit. Maybe they bring someone else in to work alongside of him, maybe kind of balance out what he's doing, bring a different perspective to it. I don't know, but it'll be interesting to follow that and see. Then you had also, in the past couple of weeks, the, a Jordan rookie card sold on the MySlabs platform. For a very cheap price. It was like a hundred and I think fifty or sixty thousand dollars in a PSA 10, which was like a hundred thousand lower than it's been selling everywhere else. In mm-hmm. fact, a card was on, I think, the PWC Premier auction at the same time and already had a bid of like two hundred and forty thousand dollars. So a lot of people were kind of questioning why it was so low, and then people started to look at the card and when they started comparing images of the card that had sold because that exact card had sold in auctions for several years ago two different auctions from a few years ago one was golden one i think was scp auctions um, several years ago and there were some discrepancies and so then everyone involved kind of started looking into it and it did turn out to be fake now it got caught my slabs did a great job working with the buyer and seller working with psa so i don't think anybody lost out on the deal it all got taken care of uh, but the scary thing about it is, uh, and the thing that doesn't seem to be talked about that much, is that the, the PSA slab that card was in looked very real. And as I understand it, I think PSA said that the flip or the label, the flip's just another term for the label, was fraudulent. And that I think the slab might have been fraudulent. They've deactivated that cert number. But, you know, you got to think if that slab and label weren't real, I mean, that's a problem. I don't know how you would identify that they've got all kinds of things to try to identify fake slabs but that was a a little scary from my perspective and probably one of the things that doesn't get talked about by the way we are did we mention this earlier we're planning on having matt from MySlabs. no
1: we did not mention that all
0: right well we're planning on having him on our show next week um he's going to be a guest interview so stay tuned for that we'll hopefully get a chance that we're going to not this isn't the only one we're going to talk to him about with this actually broke after we'd already we wanted to have him on just to talk about MySlabs and the market and everything else but then this broke after that so hopefully we can ask him a couple questions about this as well then the last thing you had happen is this company this other f- breaking group or company, whatever you want to call them, called Platinum Card Breaks, they had a scandal break because uh, there was a, as they were doing a break, there was a redemption card that they, and I'll, you know, hard to get into all the details here without going too long, but basically, if there's video out there, you can watch, go online, YouTube, social media, whatever, look up Platinum Card Breaks, you can see the video, I watched it myself, they clearly tried to hide a redemption card that they pulled, and they, they talked about it like oh well we supposedly missed it and we supposedly threw it away mm. well people that were watching said hey we we saw there was a redemption card that was in the box that you just supposedly threw away so he turns to this guy that's in the room with him and says hey can you go get those boxes that we just threw away in the garbage so he does he comes back in they supposedly pull these boxes out of the garbage they find that the redemption card's in there and try to play it off like oh I, I didn't know I just missed it I just threw it away well then people you, if you go back and watch the video because this stuff gets recorded you watch it closely you can see he didn't actually throw that box away. The whole thing was a little bit of a sham. He put, he kind of, off the side, off the camera, he kind of sets the box off to the side and then kind of pretends like he throws it away. When he turns to ask the guy to go get the garbage with the, that supposedly has the box in it, you can see him reach for the box where he had set it aside. He kind of pulls it in. He kind of shifts it over to his other hand, and as he goes to grab the garbage, he kind of has shifts it to that hand, pulls it like, oh, here's the box. But you, there's clear evidence on video mm. of him storing that box, setting it aside, not throwing it away, which indicates he absolutely knew, had knowledge, there was a redemption card, and he was trying to hide it. And then clearly see him as he gets caught, you know, trying to reach and kind of hide the fact that he didn't throw the box away and try to slide it back in and make it look like he did. Anyway, the bottom line was, they were trying to basically scam people and so yeah so you you had that happen and i will say this a lot of people been talking about you know nervous about oh these different things that might drive people out of the hobby and you know whether it's the downturn or whether it's nfts or whether it's you know whatever tickets whatever it is there's kind of all this country's about you know different opinions about different things but the one thing that'll drive people out of the hobby faster than anything is fraud and scammers like this if people lose trust in the space they're going to leave the space so while several people are saying hey we should be focusing on the positive and not the negative and that too many people are too negative it's kind of hard not to be negative when every week there's another story about someone trying to scam people out of their money or trying to sell counterfeit fake cards or whatever the case is and so and i will say too because i've heard this this idea that you know well hey just people make mistakes and so as long as they own up to it we should just forgive them and move on well yeah i, I believe in forgiveness absolutely and i do know look nobody's perfect everyone's going to make mistakes but there's a difference between making a mistake an honest mistake and an intentional criminal or illegal act and especially from adults who know better right i think about the industry that i'm in if i steal from a customer at best i lose my job I'm likely gonna get censored and not allowed to work in the industry ever again. At worst, I go to jail for it. And even if I own up to it, to own up to my mistakes and say, hey, I'm really sorry or whatever, those consequences are still gonna be there and they're gonna be enforced. So no, you know, I don't believe we just give people a pass on this stuff. I do believe we can forgive them, but we can hold them accountable at the same time. It's not mutually exclusive. There are consequences for your actions. Even if you've got remorse for it after the fact, are still consequences that you have to suffer for that and we need to clean up the hobby of all this crap and not tolerate it and do our best to rid it from the industry and i think talking about it helps make people aware of it and if that drives some people out of business well i think they should have thought about that before they decided to scam people in the first place And so rather than kind of wringing our hands over fractional ownership platforms or NFTs or all these other silly things and kind of have this melodrama going on and overstate the impact of that stuff, those are not the things going to drive people from the hobby. Fraud and bad actors and scammers are are going to drive people from the hobby. They'll make people run as fast as they can and they won't come back. So no, I don't think we should sweep this under the rug I think we should shine a spotlight on it. I think we should make a statement that we're not going to tolerate it and that if you do it and you get caught, you're going to be held accountable. We're not just going to accept apology and move on and let you continue to do what you do. There's going to be consequences for your actions. Yes, we can accept apology. We can forgive, but there will still be consequences for your action. And that might be that you're not allowed to do business in the space again. Anyway, so that's how I feel about it and just wanted to address it because like I said, there was kind of a lot of that going on the past couple of weeks. All right. Anything else? I think you hit everything. <laughs> All right, let's move let's on go. to film study. Okay, let's start with basketball because I've been you doing want to too start much. Start with basketball. Yeah, because people want to hear from you. All right. I'm too much talking. Need to get you in here, and you're a bask—you're a resident basketball expert. So, All basketball, right. NBA playoffs. Where do you want to go first?
1: Well, I don't remember. What we even uh, talked about last time that's all right i don't well, even know if we had like well i'm just trying to think where the playoffs were at last time
0: that's right. right we'll just start Either where way, we are now I so mean, we got celtics and heat finals. series right now the celtics up three games to two game six is tonight is that right yes yeah we're recording this on friday night we already talked about it's fun to see jimmy butler getting some hobby love it's been a good series
1: uh, ish
0: ish I well, mean, the it has been the blowouts. first four
1: games were all their 20 point leads in all the first four games.
0: Yeah. But so, at least I mean, at least these two teams are playing what I'll call organized basketball. There's actual strategy, actual offensive sets and plays being run. It's not just guy runs down and throws up a 35 footer with before half the teams even crossed half court. Nobody's yep. under the basket to get a rebound. Yep. And then we just run to the other side of the court that that that's what drives me nuts about some sometimes you see that in the NBA but these teams actually understand the importance of every possession and the strategy involved it feels like anyway
1: they do I mean these are two teams that really I mean Celtics weren't playing like that to start the season but they really I mean obviously really turned it around um, and settled into that I mean every team that's left right now um, does that and I think to make it this far you kind of have to
0: golden state definitely does that and they just got For past sure. dallas pretty pretty handily really Gentlemen's yeah. sweep mm-hmm. four games to one not very surprising uh-uh no, not at all they took care of business
1: but yeah so golden still go to the finals that's interesting because that's i think that's the sixth time in the past eight years that they've been in the finals which is nuts i mean that's
0: it's that's funny to me because to you get as a dynasty. everyone wants to kind of I feel like anyway in the hobby there's a lot of people that especially the veterans people in the hobby that have been around for a while they all want to sort of um throw shade on Steph Curry and try to pump up you know Luca and why the Joker throw, and all these other I, I don't know I, I just you know and I think it trying to all these other players and yet I mean here the Warriors are with Steph and Clay and Draymond and obviously a nice supporting and cast. Jordan Poole and like Poole Wiggins, and, Wiggins and, all them. and Yeah, good supporting cast, but still the core group has stayed together. Mm-hmm. That's the one nice thing to see too, right? I mean, I mean,
1: that's why it's a dynasty. And I think it's it's now that they have Jordan Poole too, it's so different because Draymond Green just has so many options. He can just he can throw the ball literally wherever he wants to and just totally pick apart a defense. It's ridiculous because all three of those guys obviously they can shoot that thing but all of them move off the ball so well like Jordan Poole has obviously learned a lot from Steph in that department so there's like constant motion constant movement everybody's moving off the ball so well and Draymond I mean if you like he he hits those passes and he usually throws them like ahead of the way before the player before the other guys are actually even like there yet so like that's part of the thing they play so fast they move off the ball so much it's really hard to stop
0: yeah he's like, anticipating it really well which is
1: probably part of the reason they turned the over so
0: much but clearly it has not been an issue just yet so but it is nice to see that the teams that are doing things organically rather than just going out and buying a lineup of superstars like the lakers did I, the Warriors maybe you could accuse them of that when they went and got Kevin Durant, but not really? It was just the one, the rest of the core team was still there. But well, and they that, did, it was interesting
1: actually. They had five players that the, their entire starting lineup that season had, or at least one of the seasons, were all stars at one point, yeah, <laughs> which is just kind of hilarious to me.
0: But it does feel more real to me when it's done that way. That's just my opinion. I know it's not necessarily for everyone, but
1: hey, Steph can maybe get a finals MVP finally, yeah. Um, oh yeah and actually something we should mention is they have those two conference finals MVP awards now they like just created this Um, the Magic Johnson for the west it's named after him and then it's named after Larry Bird for the east Um, and I think that well a that's cool I'm glad they can get more um, postseason awards and so Steph Curry's got the Magic Johnson the first ever Magic Johnson one so he kind of won a finals MVP just not, you know, the actual finals MVP. but, you know, without Durant, he's got a real, I mean, yeah. if, if Golden State wins, it's probably either him or Clay, just depending on how each of them play. Yeah,
0: and then if uh, if Boston or Miami get in and win, if Boston gets in and wins, it's probably Tatum. It's just absolutely Tatum. And if Miami gets in and wins, it's got to be Butler. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, if they don't win. Depends. They well, cannot.
1: They cannot win if the finals MVP is not Jimmy Butler. Well, I was gonna say it depends on how the series they cannot go, win. But the reality of it if, is, if Butler does not, if I Butler mean, there's doesn't other guys, play well, right?
0: Tyler Hero or
1: mm-hmm. Bam, but what it really comes down to, Butler, and that's what it's really coming down to in the in the current series is Butler's play seems to. It's it's really important for the Heat. If Butler doesn't play well, they generally don't win, um, which. I think the Celtics are kind of exposing a lot of the Heat's weaknesses a little bit just in terms of they really don't have a lot of um, they don't have a lot of scores. Well, the Heat aren't shooting very well. Exactly. And I think a lot of that is part of the Celtics defense. A lot of that is just they're struggling to get it going cuz a lot of the shots are wide open. They're just missing. And I think so Game 6 is tonight. Celtics is Celtics are in front 3-2 literally everybody i've seen literally everyone is counting the heat out already everyone thinks boston is just gonna take it tonight everybody thinks the heat literally just cannot win tonight which i don't i don't buy a because first of all the first four games were all blowouts two game five not a blowout but it was a 13 point game ended up being a 13 point game it was a lot closer than that for most of the game until the fourth quarter um Jimmy Butler scored 13 points. 4 for 18. Tyler Hero is not playing with a groin injury and Bam couldn't make like 10 footers. <laughs> he missed like probably 5 or 6 10 footers he normally makes. And like some of those were hard, but a lot of them especially with Jimmy, very makeable shots. And now everybody wants to say and I kind of agree, I think Jimmy's kind of compromised. It's clear that he's not I mean, he's been dealing with that knee inflammation. It's clear that he's not right. Yeah, Lowry's obviously not right. He's been in and out with the hamstring thing. So they're dealing with injuries. Jimmy definitely does not have the same explosiveness he normally does. So I think you can, because everybody's like, oh, like the Heat. Who, who's, who, are the heat, who are the Heat going to go to? And because they're just kind of assuming Butler's going to have a poor performance again because he's clearly compromised. I don't know that I agree with that because he's had that issue literally the entire playoffs. But, so I wouldn't count the heat out just yet is all I'm saying. I would agree. Like, I'm saying, like, literally, like, everybody's going to overreact because game four, they opened, like, one for 15. Game five was a lot closer. Jimmy Butler just could not make shots. Yeah. Literally missed, he shot, like, 25% or something total. That's not probably going to happen again unless he's really dealing with that injury. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I think tonight will be closer at least. I mean, even if the Celtics win, I think it'll be close, I think. But I think I think, I think, think there's going to be a Game 7 for sure.
0: I hope there is just because it's a good series and I'd like to see it go another game. You know, the one thing I would say there too, I like the strategy Miami had. I can't remember if it was Game 3 or Game 4 where they just came out and said, all right, anybody but Tatum has got to beat us. And they, they basically just almost like boxing wand on tatum PJ is so good
1: at that that's like why you have pj tucker too he literally that's why milwaukee won last year against the nets is they just they put pj tucker on kevin durant he's such a freaking dog everybody complained that he was playing football but like it wasn't as bad as the celtics are being this year i'm just saying um yeah we'll get to that but literally just i mean he didn't i mean kevin durant obviously went crazy but like that was the buck strategy last year is actually kind of an opposite strategy of we're going to play we're going to let you play one-on-one with pj let you go god mode we don't think you can beat us alone but he did a really pj did a really good job at defending him i'm just going to say that um it's just Kevin Durant. but you have kind of the opposite thing going here where you can just put pj on a guy and he can really bother him yeah um and you just don't have to worry about it
0: well they did that that game with tatum and mm-hmm. they won i they mean did. it was a they you know it was a, a good win for him so but then they kind of didn't go back to it the next two games. They've they've kind of gotten back away from it. I don't know why. I'm not really
1: sure. But I think well, I don't think they had Tyler. They did have Tyler Hero in that game. They're having some lineup issues, I think, right now. And I think probably my guess is part of that is that we're bringing in people like Duncan Robinson and some other guys who maybe don't get as much playing time. Duncan is not a great defender, and so P.J. Tucker needs to be a little bit... You can't just put one of your best defenders on one guy the whole night when you got like... Because like the thing about doing that is if you put one guy basically playing a, almost a box and one on one guy, then the other four guys have to lock up the other four guys yeah. and say like, we're going to basically play four on four. But if you can't do that, then you can't really... You don't want to keep one of your best defenders just like somewhere else completely the whole game you know yeah. so that could be it i'm not 100 percent sure on that but i think it, it probably does have a little bit to do with the lineup issues
0: well and let's talk about the officiating for a minute because you brought it up and i actually agree look boston it's very clear to me that boston has take a strategy from day one in the playoffs they, they did this same strategy with the nets they did it with the bucks and now they're doing it with the heat where it appears to me they're just saying hey let's just go out and just mug everybody play very physical because we don't believe the refs can call a foul on every possession they won't do it and so we can get away with it probably two out of three times and as long as we do we're going to be fine and they do and I just I will say I I, I, personally I don't like that strategy I think and I don't like the you hear some people say it's the playoffs let them play no look a foul is a foul just because you get in the playoffs if you if if and, and we saw it a couple times right I mean and I know it goes both ways but there were a couple times where it was so egregious where like there's a Miami Heat guy standing under the basket shot goes up from Boston's got the ball shot goes up Miami Heat guys got the rebound and a Celtic will just come up behind yeah, him and call literally Robert, just Robert Williams yeah, just literally <laughs> seeing just, you do it like yeah, every game just throws I'm the guy just him shoves every him in the, yeah he just shoves him in the back throws him out of the way gets the rebound and puts it back up and scores it's like are we just gonna ignore that and pretend that didn't happen not call the foul I mean good gracious like
1: come on I have been getting frustrated okay so here's my take on that I think that generally in the playoffs it is going to be more physical i think on judgment calls where it can really go either be a foul or a no call i think i'm good with them having those be no calls in the playoffs on like judgment calls like that where it's kind of close maybe guys just getting under their body a little bit they're bumping maybe it's yeah maybe you call it a foul in the regular season i'm good with that not being because like it's the playoffs that's fine but like what we're talking about is there's like a lot of like hacking pushing and holding that's being let go Mm -hmm. like a lot of it and you can see it it's pretty egregious usually and a lot of that is a lot of that is being let go and that's those are still fouls like that's like an unfair foul where you really can't do much about it if someone hacks around a layup you're probably gonna miss yeah someone pushes you you're not really expecting that because it's basketball um, and obviously, if you're getting held by, like, a strong guy, like, you can't get the rebound or whatever. But if someone's just, like, getting into your body on a drive and they're not, like, overly doing it we're to the point where they're pushing you off of, like, you know, your, your way or whatever, like, as a blocking foul would be,
0: I'm good with that. Yeah. That's
1: because you can play around that. Like, that's just kind of part of the game at that point. But the other stuff is that's I hear still a you. foul.
0: Yeah, exactly. I hear you, and I agree with that. But I, But I agree with, with the other part, too, that... Because if you're the fouls that you're talking about that they're doing, the holding, the pushing, the hacking, I mean those give you an advantage. Mm-hmm. And if it's giving you an advantage, it ought to be And that's called. the
1: spirit of what a foul is. It's contact right. that gives you that creates an unfair
0: advantage. Right. Right. So I don't know, but but clearly Boston has taken that approach and the refs have definitely been Very lenient, and like I said, this isn't just this isn't just oh sour grapes because of the heat, and you're a fan of the heat. I'm
1: going to say Miami's doing it too now. I literally they're getting called for it a lot, but they're also not a lot. And I saw there was a very there's a play I think in either game five or game four. It was probably the most obvious hold ever. It was called, but I just saw it and I laughed because literally, bam. Bam was just tugging on, like, like Al Horford or Grant Williams' arm or something, not letting him get through. Like, it was so obvious. You, like, had <laughs> nice. him in a full lock. It was just tugging. <laughs> I like, you know, was just like, okay, Bam. like. Nice. I mean, like, yeah, hey, that four, I mean, they were down, like, 10 or something. The game was pretty much over. So, I'm like, okay, do whatever you need. He's to like, do hey, if it. they're going to do it, we're going to do <laughs> yeah, it, too. Yeah, I just thought it was, like, that was just kind of funny how... Obvious it was. Like, I was like, you're literally just like tugging him. Like,
0: well, and in fairness to us, we've talked about this for now, what, since the playoffs began. We talked about them doing this to Brooklyn in the first series. We talked about them doing this to Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks in the second series. And now here we are talking about it again. So, anyway, um, speaking of Giannis, he did become the first player ever to have 200 points and 100 rebounds and 50 assists in a playoff series. It wasn't a losing effort to the Celtics, but. We hadn't had a chance to talk about that since that happened. So Mm -hmm. he averaged 34 points, 15 boards, and 7 assists. Um, Pretty impressive series. What else? You know, I will say this. So here's one question I've got for you. We were talking about Magic, and you were talking about Magic and Bird and them saving the league. So my question for you is, because I like the strategy of these teams. I like, you know, of Celtics, Heat, of Golden State. Seems like more old-school basketball. We're not wasting possessions. We're running offensive sets. We're strategizing, trying to get different matchups and whatnot. There's a lot of motion and movement. So I love that. The one thing that I feel like the NBA has been missing of late is those rivalries, you know, back in the day, you had these great rivalries that you just talked about between Magic and Bird, the Lakers or Celtics. You had between the Bulls and the Pistons with Jordan, and then the you know Isaiah Thomas and Bill Lambert and the, the Jordan rules and all that. You've had historically some of these just great rivalries between players and teams. And when I look at the league today, I don't necessarily see those rivalries. Yeah,
1: well, it's definitely not as pronounced. I would say. I would say, like, maybe, like, late 2000s, you kind of had a Celtic Laker thing going for a minute. And then I would say the Cavs Warriors four year stint where they were in the finals. That was probably elaborately. And I've heard players from, like, the Cavs talk about how much they hated the Warriors. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that's about as close as you get. I don't think it was about, I don't think it was quite the same. But I think you have these, like, kind of short. Like little short lived rivalries pop up just by teams meeting often in the playoffs. Like, I think we were starting to see one with Milwaukee and Miami, but then they didn't meet this year. I think that. There's been a couple others like that, but it's just like it's not really long enough to where you can really call it a rivalry. So it's not really the same, but
0: is that something that you think we're going to we're losing or going to continue to lose because of the parity that the league has been going for? I mean, that's one thing I wonder, like parity's is great, right? Because now you got more teams that are competing that are in it. And so, better for a broader fan base. But at the same time, I don't necessarily. Parity also means you probably don't develop those same kind of rivalries that you've had in the past. Because to your point, yeah, a lot of guys it requires move around you a to. Lot. It requires you. And people move around, but also requires you to kind of meet the same team over exactly. and over mm-hmm. in the playoffs. And parity—that's not what happens. I mean, that's a,
1: that's a, that's the a thing. Like you have these so many good teams in one conference. Like it's bound to. You're not just going to have the same teams be good every year. And if you are, there's you know right now seems like there's three or four other teams that are just as good at least in the east that could go and and beat you anyway so yeah i don't know it's that could be part of it i think but you have to also i mean there were a lot of a lot of a lot of great players back then a lot of teams competing that you just kind of don't remember um people never remember that the bucks had like 60 wins most seasons throughout the 80s and 90s somewhere in there they just never really made it deep in the playoffs, so no one really remembers that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I don't yeah. think there's a, there's a huge difference between, like, now and back then as far as that goes, besides maybe just, like, player movement, maybe with the play-in a little bit, but I don't know.
0: Well, and I suppose, too, the player movement, like you said, because I think the Warriors, given they've kind of kept that core team together, so they've kind of done it more organically than going out and bringing in a bunch of free agents or whatever, it feels like they you know, a lot of t- they, there could be a little bit of rivalry there in terms of becoming kind of the team to be I don't know anyway I, 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 there's, there's pros and cons. I get the idea of parody and there's there's pros to that. I guess one of the cons to it is that you don't get as many of these rivalry type things develop. And there's some pros to those rivalries happening, but there's also mm-hmm. some cons too but like to your like one of the things that people remember that was so great from the 80s right and the 90s but were those fantastic matchups between magic and bird or between Jordan and the Pistons, you know, um, or even the Cavaliers. Like, he, you know, some of the games when Jordan was in his first few years, some of those shots he made to get Chicago Mm -hmm. kind of over the hump against the Cavaliers in the playoffs. All right, well, what else you got in basketball? By the way, looking at some card values real quick for some of these guys. So we talked about some of the record sales for a few Jimmy Butler cards. But generally speaking, Jimmy Butler's card index, if I'm looking at Card Ladder, or not if, I'm looking at Card Ladder here at his index, is relatively flat, uh, up just a small single-digit percent over the last couple of months. Um, However, when you go and look at someone like Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum's card index on Card Ladder is up pretty significantly, up over 30% in just the last three months alone. And, you know, a lot of his cards have really kind of started to to take off you know even though Butler's getting a little more love it feels like you know there's probably a lot more hype around Tatum right now than there is around Butler Oof.
1: man that dude is so good yeah
0: like I'm just like watching the
1: series I'm just like in awe sometimes like I wish he wouldn't make those shots but I'm just like wow like yeah. those are just that's just ridiculous like he's so good yeah a lot of Kobe in him a yeah. lot of a lot of flashes of Kobe if you've ever compared the two's moves it it's Kobe's a very player. It's very clear, a lot of what a lot of his offensive game he learned from Kobe. It's a, uh, it's kind of nice to see, kind of fun to see.
0: The funny thing is Steph Curry's cards. Even though they just made the finals, they're down.
1: Probably because they were probably up because of the record, though, is my guess.
0: Yeah, but they were there over the last three months. His index is down 15%. Now, some of the cards like his his 2009 tops. Base rookie card in a PSA 10. It's an expensive card. sells for about ten thousand dollars. There's a pop count of about three hundred and sixty five of those right now. Uh, but that's probably more flat over the you know to slightly higher over the last three months. But the index as a whole is is down. Although his stuff was already kind of spendy. So Tatum, yeah, I mean, I don't know what Tatum. We'll see. I guess if he if he goes to the finals and they win. They win, there's probably some more upside in his stuff. But if they don't, you know, you probably see the values of those come down, at least till next year. And if they can make another run next year, I mean, Tatum's got a chance to make himself into one of the. Oh, for sure. I think they said this last year, and I agree. I think in the next,
1: well, they said in the next five, now four years, um, I think he could very well be the MVP of the league. I mean, he's finished, I think, top five the past two seasons. Yeah. He finished top five this season, I know, for sure first team
0: all NBA so and his uh his rookie card by the way is in the 2017 sets and so like his Panini Prism silver PSA 10 pop counts 761 give you an example 3 months ago that card was selling for about $900 it is now selling for upwards of $1600 yeah so almost a, not quite a double in price on the other hand, Luka, which we didn't talk about. Luka's one of those ones. So here's, here's, one, here's some th- question I have for you about Luka, and then we'll go on to either hockey or baseball. But I'm thinking about next year. So Dallas just got bounced, and I'm thinking about their, what they look like next year. And I'm thinking, is this potentially as good as it gets for Dallas? Because when I look at next year's example, you got the Warriors, you got the Suns. Now we'll see what these teams do in the offseason. But then you also have a team like Denver, who's going to come right with the Joker the MVP. They're going to come back as we've talked about a couple of injuries they had this year. That you know, with Jamal Murray coming back and some and some other you know pieces there. I don't know if the Trailblazers are in full rebuild and they're just irrelevant, or if they do something around uh, Dame. Anyway, but so I'm thinking about Dallas next season. I'm really thinking about more Golden State, more Phoenix, more. Uh, Denver, and who else? What other team am I missing? The Clippers, Memphis, the Clippers probably too. The Clippers, Kawhi and PG. Kawhi and, yeah, exactly. The Clippers, have they'll back. have those guys back. And I think
1: with all those guys, they're they're the favorite.
0: And then Memphis, mm-hmm. right? With Jaw and Bane and every. I mean, they're going to be good. So when I think about those teams, and I think is Dallas going to be? Are they going to be? Is it going to be a down year next year for I Dallas have, in comparison?
1: Well, I've wondered this every year. But they keep surprising me. They keep starting bad and then taking a step forward. And they finished about a spot in front of where they finished last season every season. Like, they finished six, then five, and now four. And every season that happens, it comes around. I'm like, I don't know if Dallas can really compete in here. Um, but then they do. Yeah. Like, I think them finishing four was kind of a surprise for a lot of people. And I think to your to your point of is this as good as they get, I think Luka such an interesting player to have to build around because just of his usage and people have always kind of this has been like the major topic around this team like the past three years is like who can play with luca and like how do you build a team around luca because he has the ball so much he doesn't really seem like he plays that well with other stars it's just such an interesting thing and that's why you saw them get rid of Chris kristaps and bring in a guy like dinwiddie who's a bench player but is also their third leading scorer. And it's just it's just interesting. And they, they play differently when Luke is off the floor. They play a little bit faster. Brunson and Dinwiddie are a little bit more aggressive. And so I think with an off season, I'm not really sure what kind of moves they can make to get better. But I do think having extra time to let all three of those guys play together and just get more chemistry is gonna go a long way. And their defense has been really, really good yeah which is a huge turnaround from where they have been in the past. So, yeah, I don't know as far as moves. I don't think Lucas so weird cuz I just don't think you bring in another star. I just think you bring in shooters and you bring in guys like Brunson and Dinwiddie and just kind of surround him with those kind of guys, keep his usage rate up and just but encourage those other two guys to be more aggressive when he's on the floor. They need to be more aggressive and if they are, then they can beat anybody. Especially with their
0: defense. So, I just think they need time honestly more than anything well and i'm looking at his you know obviously some of his cards especially his high-end stuff is is really expensive but if i look at the Panini so his rookie year is the um is 2018 right do i have that right or is it 20 2018 yes yeah 2018 and so i'll look at the Panini prism silver is kind of the flagship in a psa 10 the pop counts over 2000 uh, but those sell for you know 2300 dollars and those were going for upwards of $3,000 just a, a few months ago. Um, well, and so it's in that range. That was the last sale. Last sale was a little on the low side. So it's been in that 2500 maybe 2300 to $3,000 range. So they're, they're expensive. We've talked about some of his other higher-end cards that sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars. I just He's one of those that I wonder. I don't question his skill and him becoming one of the greatest of all time. I just don't know whether Dallas you know you got to win ultimately Mm -hmm. right Jordan is not Jordan if he doesn't win six championships and Magic and Bird aren't Magic and Bird if they don't win the championships they won. you got to win championships ultimately to reach those heights and support these kinds of card values and I don't know if Luka gets there well a lot of people are considering a lot of people
1: are comparing this run are saying that Luka kind of looks like 07 LeBron right now with the Cavs that were not, it was just kind of just LeBron. And they went really deep in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's a pretty interesting comparison to make. Um, I think there's, you know, a little bit of merit to that, just in terms of it is kind of a little bit of a similar scenario. So I just think you kind of need to wait. And I think Luke is getting better about trusting those other two guys. And I think, like, they just kind of need time to kind of figure things out together. 'Cause like they opened up the season, Brunson was coming off the bench as the backup point guard. And once they put those two in the lineup together, they were like, Okay, wow, this really kinda works with these two. And then they bring in Dinwiddie, everybody's like, kind of a weird trade, but prob like actually a really good trade, probably one of the best underrated trades of the trade deadline, went off after that. So I just think they kinda just kinda need to figure things out, get chemistry and just kinda keep tinkering and just playing around with some things. Yeah. And just let those guys develop can play together.
0: All right. Well, let's go hockey real quick next unless you got anything else basketball. I don't. At some point we need to talk about the all NBA team, but we can save that for maybe next time. Yeah. Um cuz we're running a little long today, but when we want to get to a couple other topics. So, hockey playoffs. Edmonton got past the Flames uh, in Calgary 4 games to 1. Connor McDavid had a good series, as you might expect. scored the game-winning goal in overtime in Game 5 to put the Oilers into the conference finals. And so just to give you a little idea on card values here, so Connor McDavid, we talked about his rookie year is 2015. He's in the upper deck. I'll use young guns um, as the flagship card for these rookies. And in a PSA 10, the pop count on that is about 2,300. And that card sells for about $3,200, give or take. The interesting thing here is it's down quite a bit. So that card just, you know, six months ago was selling for pretty regularly for up around $4,000. And now it's down to more like $3,000, give or take. Um, now, if you expand that out to about a year, um, so a year ago, was about, it's about flat um so not not necessarily a, a lot of movement over the past year in that particular card but anyway he's one to watch now the flip side colorado um, staying in the west colorado's up 3 games to 2 over st louis nathan mckinnon had a hat trick in game 5 although it was in a losing effort um, kadri had a hat trick for colorado in a game 4 win but i'm going to focus in on mckinnon cuz i think he's we've had i think both jerry and jeremy talked about him i've always liked him as well he seems to have been the predator killer in the past you know few years every time the preds meet him in the playoffs he seems to skate circles around us that guy's got some serious speed on the ice but i'll use his young guns he's in the 2013 set is his rookie and a psa 10 the pop count on that one is actually just under 900 so not a lot of those and that one sells for about eight uh, let's call it nine hundred dollars um, so over the last six months, it's actually f- pretty much flat to maybe down just a little bit. Um, let me expand it out to a year. So over the last year, definitely down. That card was selling for upwards of maybe fifteen hundred dollars. So there might be some, you know, it might be some value in in Nathan McKinnon because he's a fantastic player now. Obviously, he's not he's been around for a while. But uh, if Colorado makes a run and, and gets a Stanley Cup championship under their belt, that could That could be positive longer term for the value of his cards. Uh, Flipping over to the east, you got the Carolina Hurricanes up three games to two over the Rangers. And then you got Tampa Bay. I mean, they're looking like the team to beat. The Lightning swept the Florida Panthers. Florida, I believe, was the number one seed, if I'm not mistaken. Tampa Bay took care of them like it was nothing. And remember, this is a team that won the Stanley Cup championship two years in a row. So they're gunning for a three-peat here and it's looking very possible for them. By the way, if they do get a three-peat, that hasn't been done in hockey since the New York Islanders did it back in the early 80s when they actually won four in a row from 1980 to 1983. Hmm. Edmonton came close during the Gretzky years in the 80s. They won four times in five years from 84 to 88, but never got three in a row during that time, only got two. And then, uh, let's see, who else? The oh well no I'm sorry take that back they won four times within five years from 84 to 88 they won again in 1990 meaning Edmonton but that was without Gretzky at that time he had moved on to the LA Kings you had the Penguins back in 91 and 92 they won back-to-back years that was with Mario Lemieux then again they did it the Penguins in 2016-2017 those were the Sidney Crosby years there the Red Wings from Detroit they did it back-to-back in 97-98 those were the Steve Eiserman years I think that's the pr- proper pronunciation of his name and they also had Sergey Fedorov on that team as well so anyway Tampa Bay is looking to make history here if they do get a 3 P. and probably the two names to watch on their team no disrespect to the other players but uh, Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov probably the two most notable names from them and I've got some of their card values up here on card ladder so take a quick look at let's start with Steven Stamkos looking at him his card values we've been taught we've talked about him a couple times he's rookie years 2008 so he's been around a long time his young guns in a PSA 10 there's only 325 of them in the pop count those sell for about 550 dollars give or take um, his card ladder index is up about 14 percent over the past six months so kind of reflecting some of the success that uh, he's been having and then Nikita Kucherov his card ladder index over the last six months up about seven percent let's go look at his young guns he's in the 2013 upper deck set is uh, his rookie young gun card in a PSA 10 pop counts about 300 and the last sales price on that was about 800 now the value of his stuff has been steadily moving higher um, of that young gun card over the really the last so let me shorten the time frame here because really over the last month so yeah so over the last month it's had about a 75 percent increase from maybe450 dollars a card to upwards of $800 um, during that time so definitely reflecting the success that that um, he's having in the playoffs and, and with Tampa Bay this year so those are a couple names to watch with Tampa Bay um, honestly I don't know kind of be fun to see Edmonton with Connor McDavid and and yeah. Leon, Leon Drysaddle but be. then I kind of would love to see Colorado I'd like to see you know Colorado and Tampa Bay maybe in the in the well, finals I think Colorado will probably get there I think that would be a very fun series to watch uh but we'll see all right so that's the update on hockey should we go baseball yep all right well lots of big news really in baseball been a lot of storylines I'll start with Adley Rutschman getting called up for the Baltimore Orioles. So a hot prospect. He's a catcher. Um, his first Bowman card, by the way, is in the 2019 set, so you can look for that. But he got called up, so it's going to be one to watch. Shohei Otani joined Babe Ruth as the second player in baseball history with 100 home runs and 250 strikeouts nice. on the pitching side, not on the batting side, but on the pitching side so and i'd imagine there's we're going to continue to see shohai making history in that regard by the way i'm looking at his card index on card ladder and it's actually down um over the last three months so hasn't really seen any kind of pop as a result of the season the start to the season that he's had but some of that could just be related to softness in the market as a whole so we'll see what what happens there aaron judge man this guy's on fire and I'm thinking, you know, I always like the guys. Didn't he – so he he was the, – the Yankees were trying to sign a contract with him before the season started to extend his contract. I don't think they did. So I'm thinking he's on a one-year.
1: Mm.
0: Yep. I love the guys that are on a one-year contract, especially if they're in their prime. Uh, especially if that's a tip for fantasy baseball players out there. Those are the guys to go get. They always seem to produce their best seasons during that year. But Aaron Judge is on fire has the most home runs in the first 40 games of a season I believe in major league baseball history. Let's I'll give you some stats here. So as an example, more home runs than Babe Ruth had through 40 games in 1927, more than Roger Maris had in 40 games in 1961, more than Sammy Sosa in 1998, 1999 and 2001, more than Mark McGuire in 98, more than McGuire in 99 and he's only five short of what Barry Bonds had in 2001. And why do I pick those players in those years? Well, because those were the eight seasons in which a player in baseball has hit 60 or more home runs. So Aaron Judge appears to be on pace of reaching the 60 home run mark, at least if he keeps the, the pace he's on now. Now he's got to stay healthy. The knock on him is he hasn't been durable. He's had, he suffered a lot of injuries throughout the years and let me see if i've got yeah i've got and his card index reflects it too in the last three months and really i should shorten this because really it's just been in the last month his card index on card ladder is up uh nearly 70 percent so starting to get reflected and i think um did we i think we talked about halftime for one of his cards just set a, a record um for the for the sales now his rookie um year or rookie cards in the 2013 sets there's that bowman chrome draft picks and prospects i'll use that one as kind of a flagship pop count on that's about 1100 in a psa 10 and it sells for about call it 200 to 250 dollars but that's up for maybe 150 dollars just a few months ago so nice increase mm-hmm. there oh yeah we had it here his 2013 bowman uh, chrome draft pick autograph card Superfractor one oh one graded nine and a half ten uh by BGS sold for three hundred and twenty four thousand dollars. Jeez. That was more than double the previous sale from back in twenty twenty. And the orange refractor of that same card, which is numbered to twenty five, was graded ten ten, so ten on the card, ten on the auto by BGS, sold for thirty one thousand two hundred dollars, which was the third highest selling Aaron Judge card on record. Hmm. So anyway, yeah. Nolan Arenado. He continues to rake. I, that guy, to me, seems to be a little bit of an undervalued, overlooked player. Although I'm looking at his card ladder index, it's up about 13% over the last three months. So it's a, little, it's a nice, steady increase in the value of his stuff. His rookie card's in the 2013 sets. And you can pick it up for pretty decent pricing, uh, like the 2013 tops update. Pop count on that, a little high, $3,700. Uh, but in a PSA 10, sells for about 100 bucks. So not terribly expensive for him. Um, Bryce Harper having a good start. Paul Goldschmidt heating up. We talked about Aaron Judge. Mike Trout doing well. Jose Ramirez is another one. We'll come back to him because he just continues to do his thing. Um, Pete Alonzo, we've talked about him. Rafael Devers. A lot of guys um, that we could talk about here. There were multiple pitchers that combined to throw a no-hitter for the Reds against the Pirates. And get this multiple that's funny the reds still lost that's nice <laughs> remember we talked about how, how do bad they they're...
1: not score how do you you can't lose that game give me a break so they're you multiple cannot pitchers you cannot not score in that combined a
0: no hitter and they still lose one to nothing <laughs> I, need to get some,
1: I need to get some new batteries up there
0: yeah um
1: remember, you can't score zero points in a no hitter
0: i know zero points it's runs. it good lord get off of basketball runs
1: whatever <laughs> you're not <know. laughs> it's points whatever I know zero points
0: <laughs> Adam Wainwright Yachty or Molina made history they were the battery so pitcher catcher for 203 wins which broke the previous major league baseball record held by Warren Spahn and Del Crandall who combined I think I pronounced his name right I do not know Del Crandall Uh, They combined for 202 wins with the Braves from 1949 to 1963.
1: How did it take them that long? 14 years, don't they play like 180 games in a season?
0: Well, yeah, but a pitcher will generally only throw about, start maybe 30 games. Oh, that's true. So, yeah. Pujols took the mound and pitched for the first time in his career, Albert Pujols. Gave up a couple of home runs, but it was fun. Um, game was over anyway. That's why the cards put them in. They won 15-6. to six. I think Yadi and Merlina also pitched. Hmm. I don't remember if it was the same game or not. But So one, other, uh, one thing I will say, I, let, I do think we should just admire for a second what some legendary pitchers are doing in baseball. That's Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer. We just talked about Adam Wainwright. Clayton Kershaw is another. Um, you got some young bucks out there like Robbie Ray, Corbin Burns. Um, Walker Buehler, Dylan Cease, you know, obviously Shohei we talked about, Max Fried with uh, the Braves. But these these veteran pitchers, you know, it's cr- it's crazy what they put together. And I'm looking at Verlander's card index, and it's somewhat reflected. It's up about 10% over the last three months. Remember, he's the one where his rookie card, a little contrary. Some people say it's in 06. Some people say it's 05. I'm going to use 05. Um, that's the one really I think is – and if you look at that's the 2005 tops. I'll look at that in a PSA 10 pop counts about a thousand on that, and it sells for about 350 bucks, give or take. And that's pretty much flat over the last few months. Let me let me pan out to a longer. I'll pan out to a one year time frame. Yeah, it's kind of down really. It was maybe upwards of four or five hundred dollars a year ago. Um, so down to about 350, but that's one to watch because you know Verlander and then Scherzer are the same way. In fact, Scherzer Card Ladder doesn't even have an index for Max Scherzer, probably one of the greatest pitchers of all time, that's are going to go down as one along with Verlander. Doesn't even have an index, but his one of his sort of more popular and recognizable rookies is the 2008 Tops Update. I think that's the same set that Kershaw's rookie is in. I think we've talked about this one before, but in a PSA 10, probably sells for around. I know 500 give or take again there's not an index on him so i just have to look at kind of sales history so if you want to go after you know pitchers again tend to not get as much hobby love but if you want to look at a couple of guys that are probably going to go down as some of the best all-time pitchers those are a couple to look at now here's one i want to talk briefly about and that's jose ramirez jose ramirez with the um with cleveland has a legitimate shot, in my opinion, to be the ninth player to reach the 300-300 club, which is 300 home runs and 300 stolen bases. He's one of these guys, veteran player in the prime of his career, say that 23 to 29-year-old range, where the lost COVID season, really hurt him in terms of where they could finish all time in the major stat categories and that's something to think about with some of the those guys that were in that you know like I said those guys that were in that 23 to 29 year old range and they had that you know lost season there man it's really going to hurt them because you know you think about the production these guys have in a typical season so he's one that may prevent him from getting to the 300 300 club but He's, let's see, his rookie year was, and his rookie cards, I think, are in the 2014 sets, but he actually played a, a couple of games in 2013. But anyway, so he's been around for, what, nine, ten years. He's got 174 home runs. He's got, uh, where is it, stolen bases. He's got 158 stolen bases. He's 29 years old. So, We'll see. You know, he's a guy that on average hits, you know, 30 home runs, give or take, gets 20 stolen bases, give or take, each season. So if he gets another five to eight seasons with that kind of production, he could definitely get to the 300-300 club. And again, he would be the ninth player to do so. And when you look at guys that are still playing and who might have a chance to get there – honestly there's not many mike trout maybe you know i would say a couple if this was two or three years ago i would say mike trout has a shot but if you look at lately he's not been stealing bases in in the last couple years the way he did early in his career probably largely due to injuries right so don't want to risk injuries and, and have him stealing bases He's already there in home runs, but he still needs about a hundred stolen bases. But again, he hasn't really been stealing them. So Mookie Betts is one. Maybe he could get to there, but he's gonna he's gonna have to get back to the form that he had, you know, a few years ago when he was with Boston to be able to do that. Um, Jose Altuve is one that maybe gets there, but he's gonna need several years of some good numbers. Um, and there might be a little asterisk or a little taint if he does because of you know some of the cheating scandals with him Francisco Lindor maybe but it's not really looking like that one's going to happen so I don't know you know Ramirez it might be the ninth player do and if he does i don't i think there could be some interesting value in his stuff because like generally speaking i think he gets over he's a little bit like jimmy butler in my opinion i think he just kind of gets overlooked if you look at like his 2014 tops base psa 10 pop count is less than 300 that card last sold for 90 Hmm. dollars interesting pretty cheap for a guy that could go to be the ninth player ever to reach the 300 300 club so that's one to take a look at by the way talking about stolen bases they've been down over the last 10 years in comparison to history prior to that. And I think it's large part because the philosophy of the game has changed. So it's made it such that I think stolen base records are going to be much harder to beat. I'm sure at some point they come back in vogue, but for now, they're not really the focus. Home runs are more the focus. Um, Home runs, by the way, statistically been just the opposite of stolen bases. They've had a dramatic rise over the past 10 plus years or so. I think Moneyball, or the focus on kind of advanced stats in the game, the strategy of the game, I think has had a big part of that. Um, because the risk, you know, when you look at the stats, they'll say the risk-reward, statistically speaking, in terms of scoring runs doesn't justify attempt stolen base attempts. And so attempts are way down. But the funny thing about that is, just as the analytics say the chance of scoring a run when stealing a base is not worth the risk the actual success rate of stolen bases is way up. It's now over 70% in recent years. Even though teams are less willing to steal bases, they are more successful when they do. But as analytics have taken over the game, stolen bases have been a victim. So that could bode well for guys like Ricky Henderson or Lou Brock those are your number one number two all-time leaders in stolen bases obviously ricky henderson's rookie card is in that 1980 dude that, top set. i want
1: to say something that analytics thing is kind of interesting to me because it seems yeah. like going against analytics while analytics are helpful it seems like going against them tends to be a good strategy when everybody's like doing the same thing like going after analytics because like you said it here and i'm gonna also relate this to basketball because I've been thinking about this too. The mid-range jumper, the shot that they say you shouldn't shoot anymore, that's king in the playoffs. You have to be able to make that in the playoffs. Every good team has a guy that can make that shot consistently. Literally all of them. Every team that's left right now has one. Yeah. And, like, same thing here. So it's just interesting to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, when and I everybody's think- going at, when everybody's, like, gearing up to, like, defend something, whether it's bases or shooting based on what analytics say and what most teams do, if you go against that, you're probably
0: going to get some good yeah. opportunities, you know? No, I agree with that. Well, I think sometimes what happens is you kind of... If you re- lean
1: so far one way, right? you can take advantage of it by going back the other way and everybody's, everybody's thinking you're going to do one thing and you do something else. Like exactly. No really prepared for that, you yep. know?
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, the other thing that I think that's hurt stolen bases in baseball is injuries. I think injuries have been a factor because... I think what a lot of people are saying, like Mike Trout as an example, why risk an injury? Why risk him pulling a hamstring trying to steal a base when he's more valuable to you to be in the lineup every day, possibly hitting 30 or 40 home runs every season? But that said, I think to your point, Brandon, if the success rate continues, if you continue to see a better than 70% success rate in stolen bases, I do feel like they come back in vogue at some point. But for now, I'd say all those stolen base records that are out there certainly don't look like they're gonna be broken anytime soon and that's
1: interesting the way thinking about that is like kind of a like a pendulum we should talk about that more later maybe not today but just in terms of like how it swings so far to one way if you go back the other way you get success because everybody's so focused on that and expecting you to also be focused on that you know it's interesting because like you think about it like i mean that that's like you said it's swung it used to be focused on stolen bases and it swung to home runs and in basketball the focus used to be mid-range and then it swung to like threes and layups and now it's starting to swing back a little bit you know yeah with some success that's interesting
0: absolutely well and to give you an idea on some numbers so ricky henderson the all-time stolen base leader 1406 stolen bases the next closest person is lou brock and he has nine hundred and thirty-eight. So Ricky's almost five hundred more than that. And then you've got um um you know Ty Cobb's number four, Tim raines number five. It works its way down. But in terms of current players, let me see, because I don't you know who who's the current player that that is even on here anywhere. Uh it'd be D Gordon. And, you know, he's probably I don't he's what, he's in mid thirties, I think, probably his tenth, eleventh, twelfth season. But he's got, for perspective, so he's got the most stolen base of any current player. He's at 334. So Ricky Henderson, literally more than 1,000 stolen bases than the highest mm. current player nice. in the league. <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't look like that record. You know, I think Ricky Henderson and Lou Brock are pretty uh, safe atop as one and two in all-time stolen base leaders. So anyway, I do think that's an interesting thing to, to look at. Um, all right, well that's about all i had on on baseball unless did you have anything else i, I don't well there you go i think that's the show mm-hmm.
1: all right take us out all right yeah so that's the show uh thanks to all of our listeners we hope you enjoyed the show so please reach out to us give us your feedback we do want to hear from you we use that feedback to make the show better and bring you the content that you find the most valuable and interesting so let us know your thoughts and check us out on social media Subscribe and follow our pages. Uh, We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and check out our website, www.615collector.com, and subscribe to our email list.
0: And please tell all your family and friends about us as well. Encourage them to listen to the show. Follow us on your podcast outlet. We've recently seen a nice uptick in our followers in our overall audience, and so we are happy and thankful for that. And remember, we do plan to have a guest interview on next week's show. Matt from Myslabs will be joining us if everything goes according to plan. So we're looking forward to that. All right, show number 32 is in the books. Thank you for listening. We'll see you all. We will see you all, I should say, next Friday, same time, same place, here on the 615 Collector.